hearing and obeying go hand in hand. Hearing and obeying go hand in hand. When Allison and I were, were in Israel last week, we noticed often when you go into a, a, a room, there were these small rectangular boxes attached to every doorway, every doorpost. Um, those are called mazunas, uh, mazunas. Uh, and mezuzahs, that, that's a word in Hebrew that just means doorpost, mezuzah. And, and inside those little boxes are actually a little tiny scroll that has a scripture from the Old Testament on it. And it's the scripture we read earlier from Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. This is the Shema, right? That scripture is put in the, the little box, the, the mezuzah that's put over every doorpost. Now, why, why, do we, why do we find that in Israel? Well, that last verse Verse nine, you shall write them on the doorposts, the mezuzah of your house. Now, why am I bringing this up? We're not installing mezuzahs here, so don't worry about that. That's not what we're doing. But what I wanted to highlight was in light of the importance of the Shema, in light of the importance of the summons to God's people to hear God's word and to obey God's word, It is not surprising at all to me that when the Lord Jesus Christ began preaching a a parable, the parable of the sower, also known as the parable of the soils, that the main point of that entire parable, it's, it's the most important parable he ever gave, was simply the same truth that was found in the Shema. Hearing God's word and obeying God's word go hand in hand. And so if you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke chapter 8. We're going to continue in these last few verses that deal with the parable of the sower. And Jesus is going to explain a little bit more in verses 16 to 21 about how we, as followers of Jesus Christ, must respond to his word. If you're using the Pew Bible and you don't know where it is, you can find this on page 864, 864. I'm going to begin reading in verse 16. That's the little sentence number 16, big number eight. And I'm going to read down to verse 21. Jesus has just said in verse 15, as, as for those who that fell on the good soil, they are those who hearing the word, hold it fast in a good and honest heart and bear fruit with patience. And then he says in verse 16, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Then Jesus's mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. 
In this passage, Jesus summons each one of us to pay attentive care when we listen to God's word. And what he says to us is that we must listen to God's word carefully. That's verses 16 to 18. And we must listen to God's word obediently. Verses 19 to 21. And that's my prayer. My prayer is that God would impress on our hearts the glory of his great name and that we would respond by delighting to hear his word and to heed his word. So just a two point outline this morning. Number one, listen to God's word carefully. Verses 16 to 18. Listen to God's word carefully. Where am I getting that from? Look at verse 18. The main point of this whole passage is right there in verse 18. So don't look at me. Look at your Bibles. You see the word take care. It's a command. Your Bible may say watch out or pay attention or consider carefully that you could render that command all those three ways. Watch out, take care, consider carefully then how you hear. That's the main point of this passage. Everything else is intended to undergird, support, and illustrate that main idea. Jesus is calling us as his disciples to listen, to hear God's word carefully. And he's going to give us two reasons why in these opening verses. First reason, number one. Reason number one, why should you listen to God's word carefully? Because your response to God's word must not be hidden. Your response to God's word must not be hidden. Look at verse 16. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Now, kids, uh, teenagers, listen up. This is, this is so easy you can understand this. And I'm not, I'm not saying you can't understand hard stuff, but I'm saying you don't take a lamp in Jesus's day, it would have been like a clay little vessel with some oil in it and a wick that's floating on the oil. You don't light a little lamp that doesn't put off a lot of light and then immediately put it underneath your bed. Not only could you start a fire that way, don't ever do that, but also it defeats the whole purpose of having the light being lit, right? What do you do? You, you don't hide it. You don't cover up the lamp. If you have a little small lamp, you light it. And then what do you do? You do what he says. You put it on a lampstand. You put it at a higher place so that the light permeates and illuminates the darkness of the room. Very simple. We all understand what he's saying. He says there, so that those who enter, notice, may see the light. So what is Jesus saying? Well, he's giving us this parable because he wants us to understand that light is connected to the parable of the sower. Light comes from God's word and must never be hidden. If you've received the truth of God's word, you're not to cover it up. You're not to hide it. You're not to put it where no one can see it. But on the other extreme, you're supposed to let God's light from his word shine forth so that others might see. Now, Jesus said something similar in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. He says, you are the light of the world. And then he says, he says, a city on the hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand so that it gives light to the whole house. It's the same thing he's saying here. 
And then he says, in the same way, let your light so shine before men that they may, what? See your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. So, what Jesus is saying is that disciples of Christ, those who follow him, we don't hide it under a bushel. No, I'm going to what? Let it shine. We're not going to sing that. We should have sang that this morning, right? No, we're not going to cover up or hide God's word, but we're going to let God's word shine in and through us. Now, what does this look like practically? Well, let me just ask you just as an aside. Think about this. In your job, in your family, when you're not around brothers and sisters in Christ, I imagine if you're like me, you're tempted to kind of avoid the topic of God's word or the gospel Maybe you're tempted to kind of not talk about what you did on Sunday. <laughs> What'd you do on Sunday? Uh, maybe you're, you're tempted to kind of sideline or just put your faith in Christ on the back burner so that it doesn't cause problems. And we're all tempted in, 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 in this. So we need to pray for wisdom that we wouldn't be cowardly, but that we would be courageous to bear witness of who Christ is and what he's done for us. So one example, you can look at this in 2 Peter. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but in 2 Peter chapter 1, the apostle Peter talks about what, what others are supposed to be able to see in our lives as the word of God bears fruit. So let me just read this. Peter says, make every effort to supplement your faith and with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Those are the things that are supposed to be not hidden away from those who are around us. And so we need to ask ourselves this morning. Is God's word visible in our lives? Is there, when others are watching our, us live, do they see any difference in the way that we are living? These are, this would be a good question to ask. Let me just encourage you as a pastor, you are probably the worst expert on yourself that there is. Okay? Sin is deceitful. So you need other people who can see you and know you and have watched you to be able to speak truth into your life. And so don't be discouraged. If you're looking at your life and you're thinking, I don't see any of those virtues that you just read about. Well, you're not the best expert on yourself. Talk to someone over lunch. Ask some questions. Be, be humble and ask, hey, do you see God's grace working in my life? And speak God's grace and, and point out God's evidence of grace in the lives of others. So Jesus says, listen to my word because your response to it can't be hidden. It must never be hidden. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. You should listen carefully to God's word because your response to God's word will not be hidden. It, it must not be hidden. But verses 7 and 18 says it will not be hidden. Look what he says in verse 17. For, so he gives you the explanation or the reason. Nothing is hidden, and notice the tense of these verbs, that will not, future tense, will not be made manifest or made known. 
nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. What is Jesus talking about in these ver- in these in this uh, in this verse? He's saying that ultimately our response to God's word will not be hidden. He's saying that light, it not only reveals, it also exposes. It, 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 it exposes, it illuminates and it exposes. Light shows what is in the darkness. And what Jesus is alluding to here is the day of judgment, that day of revelation. Uh, the day that he describes all through the Gospels as a day when what is secret and what is hidden now will be exposed and clear before the eyes of all. Paul says that it's a, it's a day when the secrets of the hearts of men will be judged. Um, it's a day when every faithless mouth will be stopped. It's a day when every lie about Christ that's ever been uttered in this world will vanish like dew before a noonday sun. It's a day when the truth of God will be vindicated before every person who has ever lived. It's a day when every act of unseen obedience to Christ will be revealed and honored. It's a day when Jesus Christ and his word will be utterly and finally and forever vindicated before the whole universe. But it's also a day of a great unveiling. It's a day of a great epiphany. Jesus says later in Luke chapter 12, verse 2, listen, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light. And what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. As sinners, we love the darkness rather than the light. We, we like to hide things. In fact, um, that's our factory default setting since the fall, right? We are, we are, we, we come from a long line of sin concealers, Right? Um, just think about our first parents in the garden. After they sin against God, what do they immediately try to do to, to, to cover up their shame? They, they, they get fig leaves, right, to try to hide themselves from their shame. And then they, they hide from the Lord, right? You remember this, Genesis 3? Adam and Eve try to cover up their sin and shame, and they, and they hide. They want to be concealed away from God's holy sight. And that's like, again, that's like, that's like hiding a, a lamp, that's pretty silly. You would never hide a lit lamp. Well, how, how much sillier, how infinitely sillier is it to try to hide your sin from a holy and all-knowing God? And so just as an aside, if, if, if the prospect of a day of epiphany, a day of revelation, a day where everything is open and made known before the eyes of all, if that day frightens you, and it should, if there is any hidden sin, In your life this morning, what this passage is reminding you to and inviting you to is don't try to cover it up because it will come out. 
Instead, Jesus is inviting you to confess it, to to confess it to him, to acknowledge it. Proverbs chapter 28 says this, whoever conceals, this is 28, 13, whoever conceals or covers up his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes his sin will obtain mercy. So listen, friend, your sin unconfessed and hidden will one day be made known to everyone. But there's a day of mercy, even now, that you can actually confess your sin and repent of it and his mercy will find you. And that is a wonderful truth that we need to remind ourselves of. So knowing that this day is coming, how should you and I respond to God's word today? We'll look at verse 18. Take care. Now, in my Bible, it says then. Do you all have the word then? Maybe your Bible says therefore. Do you see that? You all awake? Anybody? Okay, you see then or therefore? He's drawing, Jesus is drawing an inference. He's making an application. He's saying, given what I just said about a coming day of revelation, a coming day of uh, of judgment, therefore, then, watch out. Take care how you hear today. And then he says, for to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Now, this is amazing. There's a twofold promise there. This is great. Jesus has, as it were, set up our discipleship like this. The more you trust him and obey him, the more he will reveal himself to you. Isn't that wonderful? So, so you can't, if you're thinking about how to know the Lord and you're, you're walking down the path of constant disobedience, you're not going to grow in your knowledge of God. Because he says, the more you have, that is, the more you hear and put into practice what little you know, he'll reveal more to you. He'll give you more. But those who think they know and they don't actually hear and trust and obey, even what they think they have will be taken away from them. So there's a deeper understanding of God and his word that is only found along the path of obedience. Now, I try to always summarize these things in ways that I can remember. This is basically what he's saying. Use it or lose it. Use it or lose it. I was going to say Nike, just do it, but that just doesn't, doesn't work. It's you use it or you lose it. Now, when I was thinking about, there's a lot of things in my life that I haven't used and then I've lost it. The one thing I could think of was my, uh, my attempt to learn Spanish. Um, I took four years of Spanish in high school when I lived in Tennessee. And I took two semesters of Spanish in college. But guess what? I never used it. And guess what? I lost all my Spanish, right? I'm, I, I should be fluent at this point, but I'm not. You can ask my family. I'm not. Now, my brother, Chris, who had his birthday yesterday, he didn't take nearly as much Spanish as I did. He took like half the Spanish that I did. And guess what? He's fluent today. You know why? Because he uses his Spanish. 
The little that he had, he, he continued to use it and he learned more. And now he's fluent. And I'm, and I'm sitting there, I've got a, a bunch of Spanish you know, A's in Spanish class and I can't speak it. Right. And he got C's and he can, he's fluent. So go figure. Right. Because it's use it or lose it. And that's exactly what is true in this in, in terms of spiritual knowledge. You may be thinking, I've got to read all these books or I've got to go to these seminars. or I go to these conferences. No, whatever you have been taught from God's word, trust him that this is his word. Believe in him, love him and try by his grace to obey him. And guess what? He'll give you more. Proverbs 9, 9 says this, give instruction to a wise man and he will become wiser still. Give or teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. That's the way the Lord Jesus has set this up. So we need, all of us need to be very careful how we respond to God's word. Let me just write, let me put this down as an aside. When you open the Bible, the Bible itself tells you there's four different uses of the Bible. Okay, in Second Timothy, chapter three, Paul says that all scripture is God breathed. It is it is breathed out by God and it is profitable or useful for four things. Number one, I'm looking at Eric because Eric wrote a whole brother. Eric wrote a whole book on this for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. So every time you open the Bible, you open the Bible and you're asking God, help me, Lord, to know what are you teaching me here? What are areas that you're reproving me in this passage? What are areas where I need to be corrected? And what are you teaching me here to help me be trained as a follower of Jesus Christ? Those are questions we ought to ask every single time we open the scriptures. So listen to God's word carefully. That's point number one. The second one is much shorter. Okay, listen to God's word carefully. This is why, brothers and sisters, if you're struggling reading the Bible, one of the best things you can do. It's amazing. Read the Bible with someone else. And if you've never done that before, it's a great thing. and set up a time to meet with someone else in this church to just read the Bible together. I guarantee you, you will get more out of your Bible reading if you're reading it with someone else. So read the Bible and listen to it carefully. Number two, listen to God's word carefully. Number two, listen to God's word obediently. Verses 19 to 21. We won't spend as much time on this one, but I do want to read Verses 19 and 20, because I want you to see that when we listen to God's word carefully, then God begins to reorient our allegiance. Look what he says in verses 19 and 20. Right after he gets done talking, it says, then Jesus's mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him. They couldn't get to him. Because of the crowd, which we were told in chapter eight, verses uh, three and following was a great crowd had come out to hear him speak. And so he was told your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. So picture the scene, massive crowd, a messenger comes up to Jesus as he's done preaching. And they say, hey, guess what? Mary and your brothers are outside. 
So we're saying, thinking, what is Jesus going to do? Is he going to say, like, everyone get out of the way, let, let them come down and get a front row seat? What, what is, what's going to happen here? Now, just as an aside, notice first that Jesus has brothers. Did you notice that? Um, we have Roman Catholic friends that argue for something called the perpetual virginity of Mary, namely that Jesus was her only child and she, she was a virgin perpetually. Therefore, she, you know, Jesus didn't really have brothers and sisters these were cousins or maybe children from Joseph's previous marriage or something. I'm not sure. There's a couple of different theories on that. But it's really clear that here in this passage and in places like Mark chapter 6, verse 3, Jesus not only had brothers, younger brothers, he had younger sisters as well. So I take that for what it is. That's what it says. Um, now, notice also that Jesus, he obeyed the, the fifth commandment. He honored his father and his mother. Okay, and so I don't want you to take anything that Jesus says in this passage as somehow him condemning family or somehow condemning uh, honoring your father and your mother. Okay, so so kids, don't don't be disrespectful to your parents and be like, well, Jesus, you know, he didn't, you know, no, just just let's follow what he says. Look at verse twenty one. Jesus is going to seize this opportunity to teach his disciples about the importance of having an ultimate allegiance and obedience to God, an allegiance that trumps even allegiance to your family. Verse 21, but he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Wow. Wow. A few chapters from now, a lady's going to say to Jesus, blessed is the womb that bore you. And Jesus is going to say the same thing. He's going to say, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So what's going on here? What Jesus is doing is not demeaning the family. We know that Jesus loved his mother, especially. We don't hear a lot about Joseph after he after Jesus is born. The presumption is that Joseph died and that Jesus kind of assumed the role of of, of kind of the, the male figure in the family. Um, but we see Jesus caring for his mother even as he died on the cross, remember? While he was on the cross dying, he coordinates with John to care for his mother after Jesus was to die. And so you can see Jesus honored his mother even to the point of death. So Jesus is not condemning the family. He's not demeaning his brothers or his mother. Jesus is teaching us a lesson about ultimate allegiance. So first thing to notice, first thing to notice, Jesus is making a profound statement here about our allegiance to God. When, when, when all of us have had situations in our families where we have had to ask, what does it mean to honor God? And sometimes that means going against what blood family want you to do. Does that make sense? We've all experienced that. And what Jesus says in this verse is he says our ultimate allegiance as a follower of Jesus is him. It's him. Now, Jesus also makes one more thing I want you to notice. It's not just our allegiance, but do you notice what he says about our adoption? Know what he says about our adoption? He says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, don't miss this. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, 
you've actually, by his spirit, through faith in him, been adopted into the family of God. You've been received into God's family as a child of God, as someone who is a brother or a sister of Jesus. That's amazing. That he, he's your elder brother. Even if you have no earthly brothers, you have an elder brother, the Lord Jesus Christ. God says to us in the gospel, I will be a father to you. And you shall be my sons and my daughters. 2 Corinthians 6.18 Those of us who are Christ's disciples have been adopted into the family of God. And Jesus himself says to us in John 16.27 The Father himself loves you. We don't attain this adoption by our obedience. You don't obey your way into adoption. It's not how this works. You're adopted into the family of God by grace, through faith, without any work on your own part. We told in 1 John 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. The reason you're in the family of God is not because of your obedience, it's because of his love. But notice, As children of God, as brothers and sisters in the family of God, we are actually to bear something of a family resemblance. And what is that family resemblance? It's obedience. That one of the marks of a child of God who belongs to the family of God, who's been adopted as a brother and sister in Christ, is that we imperfectly, yes, but we strive by his grace to obey his word. And that's what Jesus is saying here. It's the the mark of a Christian who's been received into the family is they seek to hear and obey God's word. Um, How many of you have ever heard blood is thicker than water? It's not true. (laughs) If if, if water there represents the believer's baptism, it's not true. Blood is thick, that's right. But there is an allegiance as a Christian and there's, there's a family that you're a part of that is ultimate, even ult- more ultimate than those who are related to you by blood. Let me just mention one other thing. What's so interesting is that we see this spelled out even in Jesus's own biological family, right? Besides Mary... You don't get a lot of emphasis in the Gospels that Jesus's closest family relations actually trusted and followed him. They kind of doubted him. They, they got upset at some of his claims. We're even told that they were indignant by some of the things he said about himself. You remember this? You don't see any reference to the brothers and even the sisters believing in him in the Gospels. That led us before the cross and resurrection. So I find it profoundly amazing that Dr. Luke, when he tells us this about what it really means to be in the family, that he tells us a little bit later on in the book of Acts, just to kind of throw away comment. It's actually the last mention of Mary in the New Testament. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. 
Luke tells us that the followers of Jesus were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. You see, the family blood ties that Jesus had became a heavenly family, not because of their obedience, but because of a spirit-wrought faith union with the risen Lord and Savior of the world. So if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ this morning, you can't on the last day say, well, my great-grandmother was a Baptist, or my, my dad was a minister, or uh, I had a Sunday school teacher, and my, that was my mom, and none of that will matter on the last day. What matters is not working harder or trying harder but simply receiving the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came and suffered and died and rose again and exalted above the heavens now, he is offering himself to anyone who would receive him in the empty hands of faith. And he promises that anyone who receives him will become a children of God, a child of God, that was born not of blood, nor the will of man, nor of flesh, but one who was born of God. One thing about our church's mission, you realize that our church's mission is to invite a disobedient world to the obedience of faith. You realize that's, what, that's why we're here. It's the only reason we're here, is to invite the whole world that's living in disobedience to obey the gospel. So Jesus in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he did not say, Teach them everything I have commanded you. He didn't say that. You think, wait a second, I thought he did. He did not say that. He did not say, teach them everything I commanded you. If all we were supposed to do is parrot all of his commands to the world, he could have gotten a parrot to do that. He said, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And we can't do that, right? We need the spirit of God to help us to bring about that obedience because we can't do it on our own. But that's what we're calling. We're calling the whole world to obey everything that Christ has taught in his word. And so as faithful followers of Jesus Christ, he sends us into the world, not to impart information only, but to summon the whole world to trust Christ and to follow him in obedience and faith. There's one last thing before we close. Christ came into the world to save sinners. Sometimes when you're teaching through the Gospels, you can forget that we're only in chapter eight. (laughs) The the book doesn't end until chapter 24. And between chapter eight and chapter 24, you know what Jesus is going to do? He's going to die for the sins of his people. He's going to rise again on the third day. Christ Jesus did not come to call the obedient to himself, but the disobedient. He did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came to seek and to save the lost. Sinners like you and me. And so maybe this morning as we're thinking about obedience, 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 some of you need to hear that message. 
You need to grow in your obedience. But perhaps some of us here this morning are feeling overwhelmed by our lack of obedience. Maybe you're just feel heavy with guilt or shame. And you're thinking about all the ways you've messed up, all the ways you've disobeyed. The Lord Jesus wants to lift your eyes and he wants you to look at him. He wants you to consider that he came into the world to die, the righteous one for the unrighteous, in order to bring us to God. He came as the perfect, spotless Passover lamb. The one who was slain, whose blood covers each one of us who trust in him, that the judgment of God, the wrath of God might fall on him and not on us. He came to secure us a new exodus. And he's by his spirit leading us to a new promised land, the city that is to come. The reason I bring this up is remember I told you about those mezuzahs at the beginning? Those little scroll, those little boxes on the doorposts? What else went on the doorposts? Yeah, the blood of the spotless lamb. Isn't it amazing? The very place where Israel's putting a reminder to hear and obey, in the Passover, the Lord says, you put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts. Because even our best obedience needs to be covered with Christ's blood, doesn't it? Amen. We don't make it to glory because of our obedience, but because of his. We don't make it to heaven because of our best efforts, but because of his blood and righteousness. And so as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But even as he who called you is holy, be holy knowing that you were ransomed, not with perishable things like blood, like gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And as beloved children, let's by his spirit seek to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Would you pray with me? Our gracious God and heavenly Father, you have been so kind to us. You've given us everything because you've given us your son. You have loved us perfectly because you've given us the son of your eternal love, the one in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge and grace. Oh, Father, help us by your spirit to prize and adore and love and serve and obey the Lord Jesus Christ with absolutely hearts filled with astonishment with wonder that you have treated us so much better than we deserve and that you have made promises that are beyond all imagination. 
Thank you, Father, for giving us your son. We ask all of these things in Jesus, our great Savior's name. Amen.